BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, the big news this week is that the daytime Emmys have been postponed due to the Writers Guild of America strike. So it was the 50th anniversary of the show. They were originally scheduled to air live on CBS on Friday, June 16th, with the Creative Arts Ceremony happening the next day. But now we'll have to wait to see when there will be an opportunity to hold them, you know, sometime down the line. So we spoke to all the nominees for a big special section in the magazine, you know, before they were canceled, of course. And all the actors were so looking forward to the big night, as were we. But as they say, good things come to those who wait. So we will certainly have something to celebrate somewhere down the line. And those interviews will just have to wait to be printed until then. Yeah, I will say that I'm glad that they were postponed as opposed to canceled outright, which I suppose could also have been on the table. You know, this is a landmark year for the Daytime Emmys because it is their 50th anniversary. And there were also, as I understand it, you know, celebrations planned to honor GH's 60th and YNR's 50th. And also on a sentimental note, We've just lost so many beloved members of the daytime community this year. John Aniston, Sonia Eddy, Elizabeth Hubbard, Jacqueline Zeman, you know, and they really deserve the spotlight that they would surely get in the in memoriam portion of the ceremony. Uh, obviously, we will keep everyone updated on the rescheduled date as soon as we know it. We also have some happy real life news to report this week. Daisy's Brandon Barash, who plays Stefan and was a recent guest on our podcast, announced that he and his wife, Isabella, are expecting their first child together. He also shares daughter Harper with his ex-wife, Kirsten Storms, GH's Maxie, and soap alums Jessica Morris, who played Jennifer on One Life to Live, has tied the knot with her longtime love, Rib Hillis, who was poor Charles's Jake. Mazel tovs all around. Oh, mazel tov indeed to all of them and also to some on-screen couples. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny, but sometimes similar beats happen on shows at similar times, and this week is one of them. So we're going to see three engagements go down on three different shows, though each will have a different spin. So on Days of Our Lives, EJ will spontaneously propose to his ex-wife, Nicole, who may just prefer a little romance along with it. Um, I'm Young and the Restless. Ashley and Tucker will reveal they're engaged, but definitely have an ulterior motive in doing so. And finally, on General Hospital, Sonny will pop the question to Nina, which is sure to thrill their fans. 
There is such an enthusiastic contingent pulling for these two, and it's the perfect time in terms of story. You know, seeing as how Nina dimed out Carly and Drew to the SEC, and I'm thinking Sonny might not be so happy when he finds out about that. Yeah, I think that's a very safe bet. Uh, I spoke to Sonny's portrayer, Maurice Bernard, for a story about the proposal in the new issue, and he said that he considers it to be one of the very best proposals he's gotten to do on the show. And in just shy of 30 years, Sonny has been on bended knee quite a few times, so that is a high compliment. Uh, he said that Cynthia Watros, Nina, is amazing in those scenes, and even though he doesn't like usually watch his own performances, he is planning to tune in on Proposal Day to see if how he felt about the scenes in the moment translates to the screen the way that he thinks it will. We also have a really fun feature in the new issue where we talk to actors about their working experiences outside of daytime. And there are you know, more than a few stars who have been part of iconic primetime shows like Murder, She Wrote and Highway to Heaven and Seinfeld. And I loved reading about you know what stands out to stars like Leanne Hunley, Days is Anna and John McCook, B&B's Eric, about working on those famed sets. I had the pleasure of talking to James Patrick Stewart, GH's Valentine for that section. And he had such cool stories about working on Seinfeld, working on Frasier, and also working opposite uh, Meryl Streep in the movie It's Complicated. He told me that he was actually more intimidated to have to dance with Fanola Hughes, Anna, for the recent fantasy sequence time to the nurse's ball in which uh, Valentine and Anna hit the dance floor than he was to work with Meryl Streep, which I thought was adorable. Oh, me too. But let's be clear, when you're in Staying Alive, you're setting a very high bar for dancing. Yes. Um, however, our guest today would easily have been perfect for that section. He's made his way around the daytime dial, but also racked up an impressive list of other credits. It's Billy Warlock, best known to us as Daisy's Frankie and GH's AJ. So let's get him on the line and see how he's doing. Hi, Billy. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing really well, and we are so looking forward to a big catch-up with you. I uh, don't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> you will not. Absolutely not. But, you know, what's interesting about you is that you actually have like a history from childhood, basically, in show business. You were born in California into a family with some pretty strong ties to show business. Your father is a stuntman with a very impressive list of credits, including playing Michael Myers in Halloween 2, working as the stunt driver on Disney's The Love Bug. And for many years, he was Kurt Russell's stunt double. So to be clear, that's much cooler than what either Mara's dad or my dad did for a living. Um, but did you ever get to go on set with him when you were a kid? Um, when I moved in, when I, my mom and dad separated when I was two years old. I should say divorced when I was two years old. So I didn't see a lot of my dad uh, until I moved in with him uh, about three months before I turned 13. So it was 1972. I gave away my age, uh, but anyway, I moved in with him, and then from uh, during the summer, uh, I definitely got to go on the set and and watch him do his thing and just kind of see how everything works behind the camera, and it it, it always fascinated me. Knew uh, all my friends, you know, the standard deal is you go to high school and then you go to college. That's what you're supposed to do. And I knew that college wasn't for me because I knew that the industry was what I wanted to get into. But I didn't know at that time what part of the industry I wanted to get into. I just knew that I wanted to be a part of that industry because it was it was just so cool to be on the set and just the way things work. 
pottery and it was yeah it was totally cool so anyway that's that was definitely a nice indoctrination to the business was hanging out with my dad on the set yeah so do you feel like your proximity to the industry sort of nudged you toward being part of it or do you think that if you'd been born in Iowa you know you you still would have felt that uh that pull toward showbiz no i have to say quite often around my dad and the industry uh definitely uh opened my eyes to it i i uh you know i was not a young thespian you know i wasn't that uh, theater kid or anything like that so no being around you know going to work on the set with my dad and and what have you i i definitely knew because of that uh experience that that's where i wanted to be mm-hmm. for sure yeah now, if we have this right, your own first professional gig was pretty much right out of high school as a stunt double for Robin Williams on an episode of Mork and Mindy. So what do you remember about how that came about? Okay. Uh, and yeah, that's true. Uh, my dad actually got the call. My dad was, do you remember? Okay. So back in the day, um, what, would, what was, you know, where they went around the track and they beat each other up? What was that? Like uh, skating around the track where they- Oh, roller derby? Yeah, roller derby. My dad was actually, he did that. And so, uh, and my mom and dad, both back in the 50s and 60s, were big roller skaters. My mom, my, in fact, my uncle, I'm, I'm kind of like getting off the path here. My uncle, actually, up until roller skating was debunked, my uncle was one of the top five in the country as far as like train to uh, compete in roller skating, all that dance stuff and spins and all that. Anyway, so my family was very big into roller skating. And so um, I obviously roller skated as a child. And uh, so my dad got the call to double Robin Williams. Uh, and he was just a little too big for my dad, uh, for Robin. Uh, Robin's a little guy like me, a little stockier than me, but short like me. And uh, so my dad was like, no, what you, you want my kid. He's perfect for it. So my dad called me and said, get down to Paramount right now. So I grabbed my skates, I went down and I roller skated for 10 minutes around the parking lot of Paramount. And they went, okay, great. We're going to, we're going to uh, Boulder for two weeks, get ready. And that's what happened. So I got to roller skate down the Rocky mountains and do a 45 foot high fall and, and uh, hang out with Robin for a couple of weeks. It was awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And then Gary Marshall who owned all those show, shows, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Happy Days, all of them, and then went on to be, you know, this prolific director, of course. Um, he directed those two episodes, that two-parter. And that's how I got to know uh, Gary. And I remember when I got the call, when I decided to get into acting, Bobby Hoffman was the casting agent for all those shows. And I became friends with Bobby uh, kind of a Nepo situation, if you will, when I was doing um, the Mork and Mindy uh, two-parter, I met a lady on the set who happened to be Gary Marshall's uh, secretary. And so that kind of helped me get to know all those people. And I became really good friends with Bobby. And Bobby one day said, so I understand you're taking acting classes. And I said, yeah, I'm just kind of playing around with it. I don't know. And he's like, come on in my office. Let me uh, let me give you some pages. I want to see you do your thing. So I did it. And he went, you know, you're not you're pretty good for somebody that's never done this before. And I said, well, well, thanks, you know. And and he said, I want you to go to Harvey Lembeck's improv class and start training with them. And of course, I was terrified the first time I ever walked in. There was there was Robin and all these big hitters doing their thing. And I was like, I'm not getting up there. No way. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know what the hell improv was at that time, you know. And um Anyway, uh, when Joni Loves Chachi 
got spun off, I actually read for that show. And I'll never forget, one of the things you had to do was go in and play an instrument and see how well you can do. And I don't play an instrument. But who was there? Mr. Stamos, who plays a damn good set of drums, as we all know. And all of a sudden, I followed that kid. And I was like, okay, and he gets up there and plays the drums. And I'm like, because that's what I was going to play. And I'm like, oh, fake it, if you will. And, um, and he just rocked it. And I came out and I was like, there's no way I can follow this. You know, and I made a joke about it and they laughed. And that was about the only laugh I got in the audition. But Bobby and everybody remembered me. And when I, and then when, so when Joni and Chachi went off to do their thing, I, then they were replacing Scott and it was me, this kid named Eric Schiff and Michael Fox. And it was between the three of us. And to this day, Michael, I remember Ken Schreiner bumped into Michael one night at the improv and they were talking and, you know, and, and my name came up and Michael told, uh, told Ken, Hey, you know what? Next time you see Billy, tell him, thanks for saving my career. <laughs> Cause three weeks later he landed family ties. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not that I could have landed family ties and done anything as well as Michael ever did. Michael is genius. And I must say, I'm so terribly sorry for what he's going through right now. That kid, you know, he's such a tragic thing. Not to mention, selfishly, I'm sad that I don't get to watch him anymore. He was just as good as it gets, you know, so good. There's sort of a cluster of credits early in your career. So I'm not 100% sure what the chronology is. Mm -hmm. But I know it goes Mork and Mindy and then uh, Halloween 2. Was that before you did Happy Days? Yeah, it was. It was. I, I got the part. Dad was Michael Myers. It was another Nepo situation, if you will. So, yes, my dad, you know, my dad, it was interesting. My dad was the stunt coordinator, was originally hired as the stunt coordinator and went in to meet the director just to have a meeting with him. And the mask was sitting on a desk. And my dad picked it up and put it on his, you know, put it on and went to the door where he was obviously to enter into the office to meet the guy. And he turned sideways with his head and just kind of did this eerie look at the director. And the director was like, okay, I'm creeped out. Whoever's wearing that mask is going to play Michael Myers. <laughs> and that's how my dad got the part. Amazing. And, and I can tell you this, my dad to this day, who is 83 years old, is far more popular and current today than I ever was. <laughs> and it's it's like, man, he is, he goes and does all these shows, like horror shows. Right. Though they, uh, he crushes. I mean, it's amazing how popular he is. Um, I'm but so anyway, so the mask today. It's, it's pretty creepy, and he still has a bunch of that stuff. It's really cool. <laughs> and Julie, who's a huge horror fan, couldn't wait to see it. Uh, but anyway, we, so yeah, so yeah, I did Halloween 2 with, uh, who was the other guy that played with me? It was, I'm looking right at him. And he went on to be a huge producer, huge. But anyway, um, it'll come to me who it was. But anyway, he and I played a small little part. And it was just one night, one day. And it was just a little, little gig. Still get big residuals, about 92 cents a check. It's huge you know, huge. Um, and anyway, that's, yeah. So then I, yes. So continue with the, so from that, then happy days came actually. Okay. Because it was really, it was Mork and Mindy. And that, like I said, that part on Halloween too was, was, Hey, I, I knew somebody, you know, show up that day and do the part and go home that night, you know, and that was it. And then, but the real stepping stone was, was happy days yeah. for sure. 
Okay, now on that show, you played the Cunningham's nephew, Flip Phillips, the younger brother of Ted McKinley's Roger. So what do you recall about, you know, getting that role? You appeared in 13 episodes, and had you been a fan of it before joining? I I was, uh, I grew up watching it. I watched every single episode of Happy Days. I was the biggest fan there was. And I was never more terrified when, so, you know, Bobby obviously took a shine to me, and he brought me into the, straight to the producers. Now, I had no idea what the heck that even meant. I don't know. I'm going to producers. Okay. <laughs> um, and they liked me. And the next thing I know, they brought me back to read with Henry. Uh, and that was the most terrifying thing I had ever been through because I was a massive fan. And on top of that, it's, you know, it's the great Henry Winkler, who I must say, I'm so happy his career has, has a second life to it because the man is just brilliant. And, um, you know, and such a sweet man. If you've ever had a chance to talk to him, I mean, he's the nicest man. But I will tell you, on he's tough. He expects you to work hard and, you know, do your job, perfectionist. And it was interesting because I, I, okay, so I'll stick with, I went in, I read with Henry. Next thing I know, I'm going to the network. And I went to the network and read for, at the time, Tony Thomopoulos was the president. And, uh, and everybody was there from Gary to you name it. It was a who's who of, you know, ABC and, you know, uh, Gary's team. That's terrifying. I mean, you know, I'd never gone through anything. I didn't even know what to expect. And I'll never forget. I went in, I did my thing. And like I said, there was three of us. And I was the last one to go in and read. Now I finished reading and I, you know, thank you everybody. And I left and I walk out through the lobby, go to the, elevator push the button and i'm waiting for the elevator to come and everybody hen gary you name it they all office and they're elevator with me and i'm terrified because you know i just read for him i don't know if i did well or not you know and and i'm thinking oh geez this is embarrassing i don't know what to do I, you know i was literally a fish out of water and it, you could hear a pin drop nobody said anything to me they didn't even say hi when I got into the elevator, they all got in the elevator and they just sat there. And as we're writing down, Henry says, should we tell him? And Gary says, yeah, let's tell him. Welcome to the show. You know, and that's how I found out I got it. Oh, and gosh. I didn't even I, I didn't even have a real agent at that time. I had a friend who was saying, you know, basically saying, if you book this, I'll rep you. And I'm like, oh, great. Let me just give you money. <laughs> and and uh, and that's what happened. I called the guy and I said, I booked it. And he was like, what? I'm like, yeah. And so they called and, you know, started negotiating and all that crap. And that's how it happened. And uh, and uh, so with the pilot, I think I ended up really doing 15 episodes altogether. And, uh, you know, they didn't really do much with me because I wasn't very good. I sucked. I mean, I really did. I, you know, I had one episode that they wrote for me and, and I think I did a pretty good job, but it was more on the dramatic end of it because we, we did. Yeah, I don't want to go into that, but the episode was a little more dramatic than it was funny. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I definitely uh, wouldn't have made a, a pimple on Michael's butt as far as being funny. Let me just make that very clear. So uh, I, uh, you know, personally, Happy Days made a mistake not giving it to Michael. You know, that character probably would have finished out the show. And, and trust me, Michael Fox would have ended up doing what Michael Fox ended up doing, regardless <laughs> of what show he landed, because he's, he's that good. So anyway. That's what happened. Amazing. Amazing. So it was after Happy Days that mm -hmm. Billy Warlock's career takes this pivot 
which we are so grateful it did, and the daytime soaps came into your life, uh, beginning with the role of Ricky Driscoll on Capitol in 1983. So what do you remember about how that gig came about? And, you know, it, it does seem like a, a pivot because you'd been doing so well in primetime. Yeah, I, I was. And I, I had no, no, you know, I had no interest. Not that I was against it. I was a big daytime fan. Let me make this. I mean, I used to come home and, 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 uh, I used to come home my senior year in high school. I, I would finish school. I only had four classes. I had enough credits and I would come home and watch General Hospital. And uh, anybody that knows me in the daytime world knows that Mr. Schreiner is one of my besties. We've been besties for 40 plus years. And I was a huge Scotty fan. And, um, and so I was actually, Ken and I were very close. Even before I started daytime, we had met uh, playing on a David Marish basketball team, which was a, you know, a celebrity team where we go around to high schools and, and generate money for the high schools. And um, I was sitting on Ken's couch. Actually, we had just got done playing basketball. I was sitting on Ken's couch and uh, the phone rings. It's my agent. And and uh, she said, um, hey, I got an offer for you to do five shows on Capitol. Would you be interested? And Ken was sitting there, of course, yeah, you're darn right. You're interested. Come on. You know, and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. I, you know, be an interesting experience. And so and I had just done a pilot that didn't get picked up. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And um, uh, I went in and the first day I, I, I had a scene with, um, with, with the lady I was playing opposite and I didn't even, I mean, I think I, we did one scene and I think I had three or four scenes that day and out came John Conboy and uh, who owned the show and was the executive producer. And he came out and he said, Hey, Hey, come here. And I said, what's up? And he said, I want you on my show. Would you, would you, would you sign a contract? And I was like, well, that's a little weird, you know? And I was like, well, you know call my people, you know what I mean? <laughs> Acting like, like I know what that means, you know? <laughs> and uh, I signed a one-year contract with that show. I didn't really want to commit to anything longer than a year because I didn't know if I was going to like it. And quite honestly, they didn't, you know, they really didn't have anything for me. I had no story. They just brought me on because he liked me at that moment. And that's how it all started. And in through that, that relationship with daytime, because as you know, back then, especially, you know, there was like 13 shows on and everybody knew, got to know everybody and everybody was family. You know, the daytime world, as we know, is a big, big family. And that's what kind of led to me meeting um, a lot of people, uh, producers and, you know, synergy and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of my indoctrination into the daytime world was capital for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what were you like at this point? I mean, you're like, what, 20 years old. You kind of have a bunch of credits under your belt. Now, you know, <laughs> in a career that maybe you weren't necessarily pursuing heavily when it all started. So like, what was your state of mind at that point? I really didn't have one, Steph. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I was just going with the flow. I yeah. mean, I was a guy that was making enough money to, uh, to pay my bills and, 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 you know, and uh, I, I had no plan. And, and as you will soon find out in my, my career, I never had a plan. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, that was probably the biggest flaw I've made in my life as far as uh, I just never, I always went with the flow and, and, and then, you know, cut my nose off to spite my face multiple times throughout my career. But anyway, at that particular time, I really had no, I, I, okay, I will say this, right after I finished Capital, 
Um, now let's, I'm going to back up just one second. Um, when I was doing happy days, um, I had heat and, um, I remember getting a call, um, and I went down to Zoetrope and it was for the outsiders and, and it was literally, I walked into Zoetrope and there was literally only about 10 of us that were invited to this special auditioning process with Francis, which was the thrill of my life, obviously. And, um, and I mean, everybody was there. I mean, you know, you name it, Rob and, and, and all those guys were there. And um, the only the only ones that weren't there, Tom wasn't there. Tom Cruise wasn't there. Um, uh, Swayze, they offered it to. I didn't even know who Swayze was at that time, to be honest. Uh, and, and of course, Matt Dillon, who was hot as can be at that time. Right. He was like the biggest of, a, of all of us at that time. Now, I was nobody at that time, really. I mean, you know, Ralph had had Karate Kid and, you know, success. And C. Thomas was doing those little cute movies and whatever. And so, you know, I, I, I knew who the guys were, but I didn't know them that well. That was that's when I knew I was kind of in the game. Right. When all of a sudden you're going to Zotro. So I just kind of went with the flow. And now I'm on Capitol because obviously I didn't book uh, Outsiders. So when I joined the show, I became really close with obviously Catherine Hicklin. Uh, who I had met before, but didn't know, but I got very close with Catherine and, but I was, I got to uh, very close, but Todd Curtis and I were inseparable. And um, uh, so I had really great relationships with everybody on the show. And then obviously meeting, you know, all the, all the great Richard Egan's and Connie Towers and all those people that were just Rory, you know, the great cowboy of all time, Rory Calhoun. And I mean, it was just, it was a great experience, a great experience. It really was. Because I'll tell you what, there's no better training ground and what have you than daytime. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. That's just fact. And um, but I remember when I finished that show after that year, I told my agents, no, I want to be a film. Actor. And I didn't go up for one pilot whatsoever that that pilot got to be in New York called Hot Shot with Pele. We lost. Wait, Billy. Yes. The audio that wait, Billy, the audio cut out again from like when you said that you told your agent, I assume no more soaps is what you said to him. Yeah. Well, just no more TV. Okay. I wanted to be a film actor, you know. And then I got an offer to do a movie in uh in New York, a soccer movie with Pele and Jim Youngs. Jim Youngs was the bad boy from Footloose. He was the boyfriend in Footloose. Um uh, anyway, so I went and did that. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got some, I got some things going on. And by the, and I was very engaged and about to be married to Marcy Walker. And so it was a pretty exciting time. I was 25 at that time. And um, I came back after the movie and got offered a pilot um, that didn't go, but great cast. George Dizenza, uh was, was played my dad and just, just Richard Young and, Val, Val uh, Sal Vascuzzo, who was um, Father Tim, I believe, in uh, the, the, the sitcom Soap, way back with Billy Crystal. Anyway, it was a great cast, um, um, and it didn't go. And then I couldn't do another pilot because I did that in September of 1985. And normally pilot season is in January to March, if you will. Um, and so I was locked up, couldn't do anything. And that's when Shelly called me right after pilot season, April of 86, and said, uh, come on in. And I went in and screen tested with Missy Reeves. And it was me and Wally Kurth and Roger Lodge. And I don't remember the other guy. 
And it was kind of a mock test. It was mine to have. And I got it. And uh, I started. They had no story for me. They created my character for me. And one thing led to another. And uh, and that was it. Missy and I took off. And it was uh, that was the best time of my life, at, you know, at that time, obviously. It was incredible what was going on with that show and with the character and the relationship with Missy. And it was just a that was a special time, no doubt. Oh my gosh, of course. I was a huge Frankie and Jennifer fan. I remember like literally the day you started at the show. So to say that you made an impact is an understatement. Um, But tell us about working with Missy and what stands out to you when you look back at that time with her. Everything, everything, just total goodness. I mean, I mean, Missy is, you know, you all know you've, you know, she's the, the nicest, sweetest person you're ever going to meet. And, uh, uh, it was interesting because Missy and I always crushed on each other, which is why we worked so well together as well. You know what I mean? We were, we really respected each other's, um, what's the, I don't want to say talent or whatever that sounds so grandiose, but we really respected each other. Um, but we also at the, you know, we also, she was with somebody, I was married. Um, and, but we definitely, uh, definitely had sparks. There was no question about it. And, um, which is what, which is why it works so well for us. But, you know, the thing that what people don't know, you know, there's so much that goes on behind. And, you know, I left days in 88, not because I didn't want to be there anymore, not because I didn't love the character and what have you. Al Rabin ran that show with a formulation and it was brilliant. And, you know, you'll never hear me knock what Al did. Al was a great executive producer. He was a vision. Um, she when things were working, how to, Shelly was the best at what just little, little niblets of, of goodness of do this, do that. And, and, and that scene will be just that much better. And it would be so subtle, but she was such a visionary and so supportive and loving. I mean, I, I adore Shelly. Shelly and I were very close, but here's the thing. Missy and I were the teen lovers. We were, you know, so we, we only worked week. Occasionally, even in the summer, we only worked maybe three days a week. We never had a five day a week, every day. And in soap operas, what people don't know is you get paid per show. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're making a lot of money per show. Well, it does, but the (laughs) point is you get paid per show, not per week. So it's not like on a nighttime show where you get X amount of dollars per episode and you can only work one day. You may only have one scene, but I still get that money. Whereas in soap operas, it's all about how many days a week you're really work. And so we were, we were formulated as a week. And monetarily, that was frustrating for me because I knew how popular we were. I mean, it was literally me, Missy, and obviously Patch and Kayla, you know, Steve and Mary Beth. We were the show at that time, but they were working five days a week because they were the adults. But guess what? I was 27 at the time, not 18, like Frankie. So I was like, this monitor working for me. And I'll never forget uh, Nina Pakula, my agent at the time, just a lovely lady. We went in and sat down with Al and said, listen, what's going on? I mean, are we going to bump this up or, or is this it? Are you keeping us at two days a week? Because that's what's working for your show. Because I can't, I can't, I don't want to, I, I can't do this. 
And he was like, no, this is it. It works for us. So, you know, take it or leave it, basically. And I then went, okay, sayonara. And that's what basically happened. And then, I mean, I hadn't even left the show. And I I had a movie that I went off to do, this horror thing called Society. And um, and then I was making Society when I booked Baywatch. And so, you know, I made the right decision at that time because I was just, things were coming my way. And, um, uh, you know, when Baywatch got canceled after the first season, and it didn't get canceled out of because of the ratings. It got canceled because of business. Um, and then Days asked me, I mean, the show got canceled. And a week later, Days called me back. And I, I'll never forget going into to, to that meeting. And uh, Ken was there, Al, Shelley, come on back to the show. And they took care of me very well. And uh, I was like, absolutely, I'm coming back. But I can't lie. They didn't tell me what the story was. They wouldn't tell me what the story was. And when I came back, I didn't come back for Missy. I came back for Charlotte. Don't get me wrong. Love Charlotte. Awesome talent. Uh, and loved working with her on every level. Just a wonderful lady and just such a great actor. I actually learned a lot from her. She's just so good. But I wanted to come back and be with my, my Missy. Yeah. And she had already, they had already loved Jack and Jennifer. And I said, let's go toe to toe. Let the, let the fans do the fans right now. Definitely pro Jack and Jennifer, but give me that shot. And I, and I can get it on pretty well. We're going to make some good stuff. And they wouldn't do it. And then we went on that big train of dissent that thing was. And this, I was just disappointed the story was going, which is, and then I got the call to go back to Baywatch. So it was like, listen, I had a one-year contract, no cut, lots of money. It was the, it was a great deal. And um, I just was not into what I was doing on the show because I wasn't coming back to do what what I really love to do. Call it selfish, call it uh, unprofessional, I don't care, whatever, but that just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I didn't need to come back, I wanted to come back. So I left again. Just gonna say they had also really revamped the character at that time. Remember that was when the Francois Van Leuchner- Yeah, don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that. And that's when I, no, no, when, no, the first day on the set, which they never told me the first day on the set, I'm locked in a room because I was captured by, I don't know, whoever, or whatever you call it. I don't know. It's one of the Cassidines or whatever it was. The Alamans. And I'm sitting in this, what was it? The Alamans. The Alamans. That's it. The Alamans. And so I'm sitting there in this thing and they, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like Francois von Leuchner and that just, that was deception. And that's when I went, I'm out. And I knew from that point I was only going to do a year. But then I wasn't three months, four months into the contract on a year. And that's when the Baywatch guys called and said, we're rebooted. Let's go. And I was like, I'll do anything to get out of here. Anything. And um, and that's what happened. And so, you know, uh, I went to Al and said, I went off. I'm not, you know, and he was like, what? What are you talking about? I was working five days a week. Um, it just wasn't what I was kind of sold on to be honest and um and i was like no this is it's not working for me i'm definitely not going to resign in a year so why would you invest in me continue to invest in me when i am definitely leaving because you lied to me basically and and by the way i must say that al and i were really good friends after that in fact we belonged to the same golf country club we used to see each other and couldn't say I, you know, on a personal level, love the guy, but he was a businessman. And so uh, business wise, we did not get along. Personally, we were, we were great friends. 
So anyway, um, that's what happened. I went back to Baywatch, which is another fiasco. Yeah. Let let's not well let's not give Baywatch short shit. Yeah. Like this was like an international sensation. So talk about just your Baywatch experience and like sort of what it did for you personally and professionally. How it how it changed Billy Warlock's life. Um, you know what? I I have to say Days had a bigger impact on my career than Baywatch did. Um so so here's what here's what happened with Baywatch. Um Try to make this as short as possible. So Baywatch, in fact, there's a documentary getting ready to come out about Baywatch that we did. Um, that, uh, I don't know, should be, I think it's going to be sold to like one of those Netflixes, whatever. Um, Matt Felker was the executive producer, one of the great guys. Just a true, honest guy. Anyway, so Baywatch, what happened was when the show got canceled, you know, Erica and myself, uh, uh, you know, really uh, without sounding grandiose or anything. I mean, it was it was really our show. And and, you know, it, what started off as, you know, David coming in and whatever, um, Erica and I and, and, and then, of course, they brought on John Allen Nelson um, and Parker Stevenson. It became the four of our show. And we, we, we just loved it. It was the best experience I ever had. And um, then, so when we got, when the show got picked up to go into syndication, we were made a lot of promises, not to mention the show became at that time. Um, I mean, I knew when we were on the set the first day and the camera started up uh, a girl's bosom with a thong. I was like, what, the, what are you doing? What is that? And they're like, we don't have Big Brother anymore. We can do whatever we want. And I was like, oh, this is not the direction I really wanted to go because Business sense wise, I'm the dumbest guy there is. But back then I had integrity, darn it. You know, and that, you know, because Baywatch went 13 seasons with multiple different shows that had I stayed on that franchise, I would have done them all and I could have bought Telluride. But uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm an idiot. So I had integrity. And, and when we went in to negotiate, because we had only signed a one year, well, actually, we signed a little more than that. But but at the end of the first season, which was the second season, but the first season of syndication, Eric and I went in with our people, with everybody, and and said, "Listen, what are we doing? Um, are you guys going to step up and make the and 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 are you going to make the promises true?" And they went, "No, this is what you get. Take it or leave it." And we said, "See." It. At the time, I thought it was, and that's all there is to it. I mean, because we took a cut and pay to go back, pick it up if the show got picked. It got picked up, did really well. No. And by the way, David, who I absolutely uh, adore. I mean, David, I'm sure if you, have you ever talked to David, Steph? I mean, the I guy, have. oh, you haven't? No. Okay, well, I can tell you, he is the most charming, funny. Oh my God, is the guy funny. And he's just a good dude, but. When we also came back, he became my boss. That wasn't going to fly with me. And I was never told that either when I came back. And it wasn't, I wasn't disappointed in David becoming my boss on a personal level because David's a great guy. It was, if an actor isn't boss, that means we're going to get shortchanged. That's just the way, especially with David. And that, and David was going to say, because listen, on NBC, it was our show, not David's show. But it was going to be David's show this time. And I just thought that there was a lot of deception going on. And so when we went in to negotiate it, and like I said, they said, no, this is what you get. 
I was like, okay, I guess it's over. I'll see you later. And, um, you know, said that shoot, I ended up with Stephen Cannell, which I thought at that time was was obviously the right thing to do, but that ended up going nowhere. And uh, you know, and and it's it's just been, you know, bad choices. Not that I was that was a bad choice. That was a great. That was a lot of fun working on that show and being around Stephen Cannell. You know, you really. I mean, that was just pro stuff. I mean, the guy. You know, he knows how to run a show and he knows how to write a show and. I mean, fans out there that don't know who Stephen J. Cannell is, please look him up. I mean, the guy's, you know, he was, he was, God rest his soul, an epic. I mean, the guy had more shows back in the 80s, you know, A-Team, Riptide, all those shows were his. Guy had, you know, an enormous amount of shows on the air at one time, going back to Rockford Files. I mean, the guy's, he was genius um, and so humble. That's the one thing I've come away with. People that are super, super really you know talented and and iconic are some of the most humble nice people i've ever met and that you know you yeah that's special i mean it's beyond i mean all those 80 shows from riptide to 18 you name it i mean uh you know rockford files even i mean the guy was an icon uh, so just so to be part of that and work with him and get to know him uh, it was was extremely special. So, you know, no regrets there by any means. So that's what happened with Baywatch. I mean, really not that dramatic. And there you go. So what else? Where are we going from here? We got to go to General <laughs> Hospital, Billy, because that's mm. where you went next in your daytime meanderings. So, yeah. uh, okay. That so, was, yeah. well, you played the role of AJ Portermain. Um, obviously, on that show, part of an absolutely iconic daytime family. So, you know, what stands out to you when you think about working with your on-screen parents? Let's start with them, Leslie Charlson and the late Stuart Damon. Special. I didn't really know too much of what was going on, but I had met with everybody and actually read. I had to read, which was, got to say, quite humiliating. But I I went in and, hum, uh, you know, with humility and... And uh, went in and read for Port Charles. And it was, but it was more of a meeting reading. It was weird. It was kind of like there was a girl there. I, I don't remember the actress. Um, and I think it was really more of a map, more to see us together. And, you know, I'm, as you know, one of the other reasons Missy and I worked was we fit. I'm a short guy and she's a teeny little lady. And together, you know, we were a little powerhouse short couple. But, you know, most women in daytime are quite tall. I am not. So I think the matchups for me were quite difficult. And I, you know, and I, I think um, so anyway, I, 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 I never heard from General Hall or Port Charles or and at that time it was Wendy Rich running the show. And I never heard anything. And then when when they had recast AJ with this other guy, they had done like seven episodes with this kid. I don't know who it was. And it didn't work out. So they needed to replace this guy quickly. And I came in and just met with everybody. But there were a bunch of other actors there. I mean, guys like, guys like, um, oh, shoot, who was the Blue Lagoon actor? Uh, Christopher. Um... Yeah, that kid. I mean, there was there was a bunch there were a bunch of actors there, and I I walked in and I almost turned around and left, you know, because I was like, no, no, I'm not playing this game. I don't need this freaking job. Don't do this to me, you know. I'm not I'm not here to kiss your ring, right? 
I have proved myself in daytime. You either want to hire me or you don't. And so I came in and two hours later, the deal was set. And it was, and I, and the only reason it was set was Barbara Bloom said, that's who you're going to hire. He can do this in his sleep. He's the guy. Stop messing around. Go. Wendy was never pleased with that. So I was not in Wendy's bosom ever. And I don't think the writers were as well. Uh, you know, I think they were like, what are we doing with this Michael Fox lookalike guy? What are we going to do with this guy? Because let's face it, you know, you had the blonde Adonis and Sean, and then in comes Michael Fox. I can understand their, you know, questioning, what the heck are we doing with this guy? And, um, but, you know, uh, it took about three, two to three years to win the fans. I mean, it really did. Uh, it was not a pleasant um a pleasant character to play because they kept him in a box um you know he was a gimmick he was there for you know basically for maurice and burton and um yeah it was a shitty place to work not not on a personal level with the actors and the crew they were all fantastic and i love those actors not one actor that i dislike whatsoever i loved them all emma reese and all those guys you and burton of course and i have known each other for years uh in fact Here's a fun fact. You remember when I told you that I was that I ended up dating a woman that was Gary Marshall's assistant? Mm -hmm. It was Steve Burton's ex stepmother. How about that? I just thought I'd throw that in there because oh, Burton and I used to Burton and I used to laugh at that. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so so yeah, it was not a pleasant place to work only because the character was. I just used to fight all the time about what are we doing with the character? Why are we keeping him in this box? And I mean, Steph, come on, you and I talked about it at nauseum at times, right? Uh, and and it just wasn't. It just wasn't. There was nothing. I mean, I knew what I was going to do when the script came to my door. I didn't even have to look at it. I just knew. Oh, I'm working with those two. Okay, I'm going to be put on a meat hook, or I'm going to be. You know, they're just going to crap all over me that day. I just knew it. And that became really, really old. And um, the only saving grace was the fact that I was very close with everybody and enjoyed everybody. And, and, and especially, of course, John Engel, uh, you know, was John and Stuart were my best friends. I mean, they were my best friends. I mean, regardless of, you know, working with each other, we were we saw each other all the time outside of. In fact, I saw Stuart more outside of work than I did working. I mean, we play golf together constantly. And John, you know, we'd wheel him out on the golf course to get that old body moving around. It was so much fun playing golf with John. Um, but I mean, John and I, John, I mean, John was my guy. I mean, I, uh, I, I was with him up until the day he died. I mean, literally, I was, the, he died in the middle of the night and I had left him that afternoon. And uh, I, I got a great little, anecdote about so john always i had a rolex that i always wore so john went out and got a rolex but he got the fancy one the gold rolex and all that stuff and i and i used to you know tease him about it you know and um and and when i would go see him um when he was in hospice care and he'd go in and out of consciousness and it was just oh so painful to watch but it was so such a blessing to actually be there and be with my friend and he he wore the watch until the day he died along with his wedding ring and i would tease him like, you're wearing that watch come on dude you got a foot in the grave get out get take that thing off would you and he just you know and then he'd flip me off you know <laughs> and that's just that's just what we you know it was just fun and 
And Christmas morning, he died September 12th. And um, Christmas morning, he I, I got a knock on the door from FedEx and it was his gold watch and his family. Yeah, he wanted me to have that gold watch. This is just so beautiful. But and, the, and then going back, I, I felt in and we'll have you to be asked to get me for Stewart at his memorial. And I was the only actor that got to do that out of all the, oh, it was me and me and Leslie. But, you know, to only have been on that show for seven, to, to know that I made that kind of an impact on, on he and his family. And I, it's just that that's what I remember most about General Hospital um, is it's just them is, you know, it was such a, yeah, that was, that was what made, that's what, to be honest, that's what kept me resigning, um, you know, re-upping my contracts was because of them. Mm -hmm. But, but towards the end of my last signing, I had just resigned for another three years and Stuart wasn't working and John wasn't really working that much either. So I wasn't getting to work with them anymore. I was, you know, still in a story that was, you know, hanging out, getting beat up by Stephen Maurice. Not personally, mind you. Let's make that perfectly clear. These Sunny Jason. They would, I can't tell you how many times I go to work and they just look at me and go, you poor bastard. You know, and I'm like, I know. And he goes, and they'd say, hey, we're sorry, man. We don't mean to do this to you, but, you know, we got to we gotta do this. And I'm like, of course, you know. Um, but, you know, I had just resigned and I knew I made a mistake on a personal level. I was like, I can't. And Jill was the executive producer at that time who I got along with and, and really adored. Um, and I went to Jill not month, not a month after I resigned and said, I made a mistake. You know, can I, can we think about getting me out of here? And she said, let me talk to the boys. And um, that was Bob Guzan and Chuck Pratt who were writing the shows at that time. And um, she called me like a week or two later and said, yeah, we're going to honor it, but you, you were going to, you got to finish your cycle, which took me into November. And I knew that I wanted to go to New York and do, do try my luck at theater and give it all up. Yeah, going back to like 1985, no more TV. So this was like, <laughs> I want to be, I want to be an actor. I'm going to go to New York and do theater. Now, let me tell you something to try to go to New York and do theater when your main credits are Baywatch and soap opera luck. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I leave the and uh, I hooked up with a New York agent. And he, he's, you know, he was like, he thought I was crazy to leave all this and, and go to New York and do theater, which, you know, you don't make money doing theater whatsoever. But I had done well enough. And I was like, okay, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to be an actor, darn it. I'm going to get my chops back. I'm going to get things going. And, you know, long story short, he sent me this play called uh, the, the Normal Heart, um, which is just a gut-wrenching play about the about when the AIDS epidemic hit back in you know 80 81 82 83 84 85 86 and um they did the play at the public theater which if anybody out there does the theater it's it's Joe Patch's Shakespeare in the Park theater it's the off-Broadway theater in the world much less New York or anywhere else and it's pretty much doing Broadway. I mean, every actor, every all actors that are worth their salt has done a play at the public theater. And I get a, my my agent in New York says, I'm sending you a, pl a, a, a play. Uh, and he didn't tell me what it was. And I had known about The Normal Heart, but didn't really know too much about it. And um, I read it and I was like, oh, crap, this is terrifying, you know, because it's just such a gut-wrenching play. 
But the part that I originally went in for was uh, this guy, Bruce, who is basically the stray gay guy, right? He's the he's the guy that's in the closet. Nobody knows. Uh, he's got the he's got the eulogy in the play, though, about his 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 boyfriend was, you know, died and they put him in a trash bag and left him out in the out in the back alley in, a, in, in the trash. That's what they did with him. So if there's one thing I can do is hit emotion. And so I went in and read that for the great Larry Kramer, who created the GMHC, and he was a big gay rights activist, you know, back with Stonewall and all that. I mean, this guy is iconic. He just passed away uh, not long ago. And um, so I went in and read for this, you know, Larry and the entire team. And I did that eulogy and he just looked at me and he said, why do you want to do this play? And I said, because one, it's want to be an actor. And he said, yeah, but you look at all the stuff you've done. Are you sure you really want to do this? Because this is going to kick your butt. And I was like, yeah, I am sure. And he said, "Okay, I want you to grab the sides of Felix and learn it and come back in. Like I had to go outside, learn a whole new thing and then come back in 10 minutes later. And Felix, believe it or not, was the one role when I read that play, I was like, thank God I'm not playing Felix, because that was the scary role. That was the one that I was most terrified to play. And sure enough, there I was, and I came back in, and I must say I crushed it. And uh, Larry stood up and said, come back in two days, but in the meantime, I want you to go to closing night, uh, which was that night, to go see Taboo and watch Raul Esparza um who was in the play who's you know tony winner the guy's a badass he was on law and order for many years as the da i mean it's just now that is the most prolific actor i've ever worked with in my life this guy is brilliant i mean and just a lovely lovely man i mean unbelievable so i go to see him with tom Satrano. so tom was was living in new york at the time and i was actually staying with him so we go to this play and out comes raul for his aria and I turned to Tom and I'm like, I'm going to need a bigger boat. This guy, <laughs> this guy is just, I was so intimidated by him. And I came back in two days later and read with him. And uh, we just hit it off. And Larry got up, stood up, walked over, hugged me and said, you're it. I was like, oh, crap, here we go. And that was it. And I did the play for six months at the public. And um, it was incredible. It was, it was just an incredible experience. They had talked at that time to take me to Broadway, which they did later, with much bigger stars than me. Um, and um, thank God, because if it had gone to Broadway, maybe I had done it, but they were thinking about extending it at the public to get a chance to go to Broadway, and I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have extended. It was just too painful, uh, physically draining. It, you know, because on off Broadway, this the the uh, schedule is a lot different than it is on Broadway, and it just kicks your butt. And it's a three hour play. And to die of AIDS every night, not fun. Um, so, uh, you know, but luckily it went on and it did. And then they did the HBO movie, which was so good. Everybody was just amazing in it. And it was just it's great to be a part of that legacy, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. And then, um, then I did a little movie called Fatwa with uh, Angus McFadden and uh, Lauren Holly and whatever. And then, uh, and then we had some major drama with, with regarding days and general hospital. So I get a call from my agent saying that general hospital wants you to come back. 
And I was like, no, not interested. Well, they only want you to come back for three episodes. And I said, okay, only if I'm not coming back to be totally and utterly humiliated again. Yes, but I want to see what it is I'm doing before I commit to this. And they wouldn't let me. I had to take Jill's word for it. I was like, okay. Well, I had an inside source that called me. Now, I'm supposed to leave on a Sunday night to work Monday. I was going to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and be done and go back to New York, go back home. And I found out Friday that they were going to kill me from my inside source. I lost it. I said, that's it. I'm not going. Screw them. Well, then I got threatened to be sued. And I mean, it just got ugly within that 24-hour period. And I remember that entire weekend, I was a total recluse. Uh, I just, I was so upset, never more freaked out and pissed off in my life. And got on a plane, said, screw it, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. And I got there and Jill came up to me and I was like, literally, Jill, get away from me. Don't, no, let's just do this. Let me go home. You know, you lied to me. And I, I did, I did a couple of scenes. Then Jill came back out. Uh, oh, uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Nope. Nope. We're on track. Okay. So then Jill, Jill came back out and she's like, no, no, come here. I said, what's up? And she said, the boys want to talk to you. We're not killing you. We're faking it. We didn't want anybody to know. Okay. So after I finished working, the boys called me up to Jill's office and the three of us sat there and this is Chuck Pratt, Bob Guza and, and Jill. And they wanted me to come back to the show, period, like all the way. And they're like, we have great stuff for you. It's going to be great. Of course, I didn't trust them. And I really wanted to be in New York. And I wanted to remain in New York. And I said, no. And they said, okay, what's the amount of time you'll give us? And we all discussed it. And, I, and, and it was like, so how much, you know, what can we compromise on? And we came up with three months. So I went back to New York for two weeks before I was to come back to do General Hospital for three months. This is in, I want to say February, I was going to come back and uh, I came back. No, I came back in, in late January and I was there until like the 1st of April. So yeah. So now I'm back and I'm thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to do three months. It's like doing a movie. I'm going to repad my kitty and give me more time in New York and, have, you know, well, within that two week period, I got a call from my agent saying days once. And I went, what? I said, okay, uh, I just turned down General Hospital. I don't really want to do days. So let's, let's, instead of saying no, let's just make a number that I know they won't match. Well, they did. And we went, oh, crap. All right, we're going to days. Here we go. And I remember getting a call from Ken. Welcome back to your home. We'd love to have you. This is going to be great. Uh, in fact, I even got a call from my uh you know who wife, who then heard I was coming back, who had dumped me several times prior, by the way. Um, and uh, now I had not, now that's a whole other story. I had not seen Julie, but one time in five years. And so anyway, uh, I digress. Um, so now I go back to, day, uh, to, to GH for three months. And I have to tell you, it was the best experience I ever had. They gave me such great material and and I remember going to uh, Carol Scott's memorial. I was doing days at the time. Oh, before I say this, it's funny. My first day back on General Hospital, Jill Phelps always wore black, always just draped in black. And she came out to the set. And I'll never forget um, the director, Bill, uh, who had done days with me way back when, um, yeah, 
uh, Jill came out and was just her arms were crossed and she had this scowling face and she was just evil eyeing me. And she said, I thought you didn't want to go back to daytime. I heard you're going to days. And Bill turned to her and said, you couldn't even come close to the money that he got on days. And and I said, it's true. And Jill just stormed off, you know. Um, and then we did the three months and had a great time. But anyway, going back to Carol, who was a lovely lady. Um, I'll never forget, Bob Guza, of all people, came up to me and said, listen, and this was during the Emmy nomination time where you nominate, you know, the Emmy people. And she said, I fought to nominate you because you crushed it. And uh, but they were they were there was no way you were going to get nominated here because you're on days now. And we're not happy about you being there. And I must say, I under uh, I completely and totally underestimated you, your ability. And I am really sorry that I didn't never wrote for you. And uh, I'm sorry we made a mistake. And that was all the vindication I needed right there. I was like, okay, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that you knew that I was a better actor than you gave me credit for, you know? And uh, so that was that was great. But I am sorry that um, that I made the choice to go to Days after what happened with Days. Because when I went back to Days, they had no store. I mean, I was there. Listen, they were paying me an ungodly amount of money. And I didn't even work a day. My contract started May 1st. I didn't even work until July, July 4th show. And I, I even said to Kate, well, what's up, bud? You need an ungodly amount of money to stay golf. I don't get it. He's like, I know, man, we have no story. Why'd you ask me back? I mean, I could have, you know, I mean, was this so that I wouldn't go to GH? I mean, I don't understand what the heck is going on. He's like, I know I got to talk to my writers. This is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And I only lasted a year and a half there. They had no story. You know, I ended up being Matt's keeper. You know, uh, you know, go be with Missy because I'm dying and or whatever he was going through. And I need you to be my guy to take care of her. And I was never more humiliated. Going back to Dave's was getting back to Julie, which was not an easy task to begin with either. I mean, we had broken up a couple of times again during that time. And um, but but, yeah, I never understood why I was back. And then and then when um, when uh, was it? Sheffer, Sheffer, Hogan oh, Sheffer came in. Have, Hogan Sheffer came in to write the show. I want to say this is now 2006 or seven. And I had been on the show for about a year and a half with zero story, but paid a ton of money to do nothing. Um, Hogan was like, Yeah, we're not thinking we got to, you know, and so we parted ways. And, um, and Julie was released as well. So uh, then from there, you know, I got a, uh, I, I kind of hung out, which was great. But then I got a great call to do, to do. I ended up doing six months on YNR, um, uh, you know, no story. I just worked two days, a couple of days a week. You know, um, it, it was great. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, got to work with Bergman and those guys and, you know, Michelle Stafford, and it was just great. Sharon Case, it was great. It was a great time. Had no story. Um, but the executive producer at the time was a dear friend of mine and created that little character for me. And um, it was great. And then uh, and then during that time, Julie got the call to go do As the World Turns in New York, which I was ecstatic, going, yeah, we're going back to New York. <laughs> this is great. Um, and then we ended up back in New York. and um, And it was great. That was one of the best times of our lives. We we had so much fun in New York, um, and um, 
uh, yeah, I did that. And then I, you know, got to do as the world turns with, with, with her. Um, and, uh, that was a hoot ended up on one life to live, which I got a story about that one. Holy crap. So, okay. So, so I'll never forget sitting in my apartment that one morning and my phone rings and it's Michael Bruno. It's Bruno. Billy, it's Bruno. <laughs> got to talk to you. Got big stuff, big stuff. I'm like, yeah, what's up, Bruno? He's like, I could pray for Frank, Frank Valentini on the line, who I used to see around town and blah, blah, blah. And Frank was always, I've known Frank for many years, just on a, you know, very superficial level. But but I, I've known him. And I mean, way back when they were in the old studio and whatever, when he was just a what an associate producer before he became producer and then executive producer and all that. So so anyway, Billy, I need you. I'm like, what's up? Because when can I'm like, you mean today? He's like, yeah, yeah, you're replacing an act, and I need you right now. And I'm like, okay, let me take you there, and I'll be theirs. And uh, I said, all right. So hung up, took a shower, went down to the studio. They handed me like 45 pages of dialogue. I'm like, what the hell, Ross? What? What? May Wayburn? Mayburn? Ross? Something? Yeah, whatever. And I'm like, okay. I didn't know who I was replacing at the time. I didn't know anything. And so I go into Frank's office. He's like, so glad you're here. You're my guy. You're going to make this great. And I'm like, cool. Who am I replacing? He says, you're replacing Michael Lowry. And I'm like, what? You're kidding me. He says, no, no. I said, Michael Lowry is a six foot two JFK Adonis. Again, do you want Michael Fox walking through the door? The fans are going to kill me and they're going to kill you. I don't care. You're my guy. We're going to do it. All right. So... You know, we went in and we did it. I never knew what the hell to do with that character. I didn't really know what that character was about. You know, I had long hair. He was like, keep it. I want you to be like the surfer dude. You're going to be moving. I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Uh, I just kind of made it up and tried to make it as we went on. Yeah, we finished one life. And then Julie and I, it was weird. In 2010, Julie had won the Emmy and I was, I was still always working. Like I was the voice of Miller Lite for a year and a half. Best job I ever had, by the way, ever had. I mean, you'd show up, you'd work maybe a week out of the year, lay down a bunch of tracks and just make a lot of money doing nothing. It was amazing. Um, and, and one day I'll never forget it. Cause I was the Miller Lite was also one of the proud sponsors of UFC, which I'm a UFC, huge UFC fan. And I used to watch the ultimate fighter on Wednesday night. And one night I'm sitting there going, okay, I get to hear my voice, make a lot of money watching my favorite show again. And sure enough, it was somebody else. And it was, Oh crap, that's over. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So Julie and I, we, we just kind of, and I was really one of my best friends is Bob Woods. And Woodsy had retired upstate to Kinderhook and Julie and I found a house up there that we ended up going up there for a year and a half, about two years, hanging out. We said, you know, we're not really auditioning that much. We'll come into town if somebody wants to meet us or whatever. And we did that for, like I said, for about two years, lived upstate, had a great time, loved it up there. Julie didn't like it so much just because of the weather, really. The winters are gray and dingy and dank, as you all know. And and then we just kind of got to the point where it's like, nah, this isn't working. Let's go back to L.A. Maybe somebody will dust us off, you know, give us another shot. And we went back to L.A. and we didn't last six months. And we were like, oh, God, we can't be in L.A. This sucks. And I had brought Julie to Telluride in 2010. 
And um, she really loved it. So I was like, hey, let's do a recon mission to tell you ride. And we did. My 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 best my best friend lives up here. This guy, Axel, he's he, anyway, he, he and Ken and I are all great friends, but Axel's my longest, oldest friend. We've known each other since 1979. And he's like, he's family. He's my brother. And uh, as is Ken, if you're listening, Ken, I have to say that. <laughs> but but uh, well, no, I don't have to say that. I gladly say that. Um, anyway, so we came up and Julie and I went, let's do it. And I'd always what I didn't tell you is in in 97, when when um, General Hospital fell, fell into my lap in three hours, I had my house at the time I was living in L.A. and packed up because I was selling my house and moving to my house. I had a house up here in Telluride. I was moving to Telluride to teach skiing and just get away from it all. And then General Hospital fell on my lap in three hours and I didn't go. So I always knew in the back of my mind that this environment is something that I wanted to pursue. And, and that was going to be my second half to my, you know, that's was going to be my second career, if you will. And, and I wanted to teach skiing and whatever. So Julie and I came up in 2014 uh, on a recon mission and uh, we stayed. And that was it. We packed up our, we came back, packed up our stuff in LA, moved out here uh, in July of 2014. And um, I taught skiing. I taught skiing for two years and then I was a children's ski school supervisor for six and an adult supervisor for one. And now I just retired this last winter. I just finished a few months ago. I am officially and completely and totally retired. And that's, that's awesome. my life. Well, how's that? Yeah. How's life for Billy Warlock and Julie Pinson in Colorado? It's awesome. It's pretty awesome. I mean, like right now, the reason I got to go is I got to go play golf. I, I, we, so we were up in Telluride in um, almost nine years, but it came time to retiring. We, we, Telluride's harsh in the sense of climate. I mean, it's, you know, it's, if you're not going to ski, the summers are unbelievable. They're so beautiful. It's a beautiful place. But, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to be skiing as much. And the truth of the matter is Telluride has turned more into a resort town than a funky ski town. And Julie and I were getting, feeling boxed in a little bit. But we knew we didn't want to leave the area. Now, don't get me wrong. Telluride is still has my heart and I love and, you know, so many, in fact, the guys I'm playing golf with today are all from Telluride. They're coming down. So we moved about an hour and 10 minutes away down to a little town called Montrose. Uh, we're in Montrose. Uh, we retired on a golf course. And uh, that's what I do. I play golf. And uh, um, and do we just do what we want. Do you Pardon miss me? acting? Do you miss being in the business? You know what I miss? I do miss the camaraderie and the actual work aspect of it. I do. I mean, if somebody called me, I would love to go play. Because because you know what's really inspired me? And the work out there is so flipping good. Some of these these shows and the scripts, I mean, uh, it's just, I mean, now granted, on your major networks, it's still all formulaic stuff and it's the same old stuff. But boy, these Netflix and, you know, Amazon and all these series out there, of course, all I hear is if you're not you're not making any money, but I would never go back to the business for money. I would go back to do the work and the work out there is so outstanding. I mean, these shows are so darn good. You have literally stopped time, as Steph said earlier. So do you get recognized as AJ, as Frankie from Baywatch, from any of these projects 
just in living life in Colorado? I get stared at. And yeah, I get stared at, but no, not, no, I'm actually kind of anonymous now. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. And I have to tell you, it's great for me to be just a guy because, you know, now I can be kind of the uh, jackass that I've always been and don't have to worry about it, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, that's been really refreshing to be just, just me. It's it's really kind of cool that I don't have to worry about anything anymore, especially in today's time. You know, back when I was coming up, we didn't have social media. Right. We didn't have cameras on us 24 hours a day watching our every move. Our every move. If we had, I don't think I would have lasted a, a week in the business. They would have gotten rid of me a long time ago. You know, who's this little jack off? I mean, come on. I mean, I you know, let's face it. I can be... Yeah, I mean, I can be a lot of fun. It'll be the antithesis. Uh, <laughs> I always had to watch my had to watch my P's and Q's. And nowadays, with these people, you know, gunning for you at every turn, I mean, there's, I mean, so many different ways to be just humiliated out there and taken down. So I'm glad to not be in the business at this current time, to be honest. Um, but yes, would I love to go back and. Because I have a lot more to draw from since, you know, over the last nine years, so much has happened in my life um, personally, a lot of it great. And some of it, you know, I'm now in that stage in my life where people around me aren't around anymore. And it's extremely sad. And, you know, I mean, it makes me sad that, that you know, I mean, this is, you know, you, you can end up, my parents, they, thank God, are both alive. But, you know, let's face it. Time's ticking. And so, you know, things like that are happening in my life. You know, yeah, I lost John and Stewie and 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 what have you and 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 now Jackie. And I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff that, you know, that's the stage of life that we're coming into, which is it's not fun. You know, it's that's kind of the hard part about getting older. Um, but but it's you know, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just it's just I, I I have different pain in my life now than I had back then. And, you know, pain means more to me now than it did when I was younger. Right. You just let it roll off your back like water on a duck's back, if you will. Right. Now it resonates. And and uh, so I have I have a lot of stuff inside me that I could easily get out with no problem. Uh, I think I would be a better actor today than I was then, to be honest with you, if I was given that chance. Um, I, I believe I still have it get in there and crush it if I was given the opportunity. But I don't have any connection to Hollywood anymore. I don't even have an agent anymore. So no, this is my new life. And uh, it's great. I mean, I mean, I'm happy. I mean, I love my life. My life is good. You know, um, hey, I had a 30 year career. That's not a bad run, you know, uh, made a lot of bad decisions. I mean, I turned left so many times when I should have turned right, uh, business wise, but I have no regrets as far as the decisions I made. Do I have regrets on the way I handled myself in certain situations? Of course I do. I mean, I was young and stupid and, you know, thought that I knew everything and I knew nothing, you know, uh, but I didn't really have a lot of, I think, I think every young actor needs mentorship. You need people around you to smack you around when you're being an idiot. 
I had people that encouraged my craziness sometimes. And um, I think the only person that was the two people that were the most real with me were definitely John and Stuart. And I'll tell you what, me getting the normal heart, that play had everything to do with John. Engel. I mean, I, I, you know, John was a theater guy, right? That was just, he was a theater teacher. Um, I remember when I got the opportunity uh, to go read for that. I mean, John was like, get your butt over to my house. We're going to work on this thing. And we did. We worked and worked and worked. And and uh, luckily, the performance that I was able to give in the in the uh, audition process was all because of John. Uh, you know, uh, my take on what I was doing was completely different than his. And John's was always right. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. Well, and so everyone has such great stories about John, I feel that has, you know, that have gone through anyone who actually was his student, never mind anyone who worked with him. But before we let you go, as you look back on your, you know, just life in general, and how it evolved, like, how would you say Mm -hmm. that your years in daytime shaped or changed it? Oh, it, it both. I mean, it shaped and changed my career. Um, You know, I mean, you know, especially days back in the 80s, because back then there was synergy. You know, if you if you were on a soap opera and you were popular and you were doing good work, you'd most indefinitely get a you know a movie of the week or whatever that would launch you. That would be part of your deal, right? It would, and it gave it gave the audience the opportunity, you, you know, to see you in a different light. Because back then, if you were doing TV, you weren't going to do movies, right? It took people like you know Tom Selleck and Michael Fox to break that mold. To show that, hey, if people like you, they're going to follow you. They didn't pigeonhole you as a daytime person. So, you know, people like that were instrumental in, 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 in breaking that mold. And, and so, you know, doing days and NBC was so good to me back then because when I left, I mean, Baywatch was NBC. That was Brandon Tartikoff, God, God rest his soul. He was so good to me. I mean, he gave me Baywatch. He gave me those two movie of the weeks that followed Baywatch that, that led into the series again, when I did, you know, those wonderful class crews and something else I do swimsuit classics, just classic movie of the weeks. Oh yeah. Yeah. But Hey, they were fun. Um, but no, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do things like that if it wasn't for, for, for daytime in the, in the eighties, but, but daytime in the eighties was, was a special time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, daytime in the eighties, come on. More people watch that than than watch those nighttime shows that were ahead. Right, mm-hmm. we paid for nighttime. That's how it was done, right? And uh, in General Hospital, were the, they were it, daddies, and it was so it was a special time. So yes, definitely, and it taught me how to be a uh, an, uh, an actor. I mean, you do daytime well. There's nothing you can't do. I mean, it is it's theater. It is it is theater. It, you know, you like as stage everything is you know outside to the fourth wall with the cameras out there the movement you make is you're you're turning to the audience like you do on a play it is theater and um it was it was the best experience i ever had and 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 i must say there's not a show that i've ever been a part of that um you know in the daytime world that the cast and the crew are you know they're spectacular i mean everybody there's, I never had a bad experience on a show on a personal level, ever, not once. 
ever. Now, sure, was I disgruntled about character direction or things like that? Of course, but that's my own axe to grind. But as far as the everyday work, no, it was it was it was incredible, incredible all across the board, and all the actors and crew. No, I'm repeating myself because you know it was a special time, and it still is. Those are still some of my closest friends, right? And I, I was one of the fortunate ones that got to do a ton of work outside of daytime, you know. Um, and yeah, they're still my closest friends. I literally could talk to you all day, but this was such an amazing catch up and I'm so happy to see how well you and Julie are doing. And, um, thanks for all your time too. today. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Billy Warlock for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>